on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 Euro in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. More chances, more prizes, more reason to enter. Otewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald. Oh, Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Let's have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast in association with Aldi. I'm Will Slattery. I'm delighted to be joined in studio as always by Luke Fitzgerald and Fergus McFadden as well as on the line by Ben Tail, who was involved in the England World Cup training camp under Eddie Jones. And Luke England were huge favourites going into the game. I didn't really see anybody picking South Africa but in the end they were fairly comprehensively dominated. They conceded 15 points off scrum penalties. There was a lot of drop balls from the English. The South African defence was airtight. Another World Cup final goes by where they haven't conceded a try. You know, after all the talk about how good England were against the All Blacks, were you surprised just how thoroughly or comprehensively they were beaten in the end? Yeah, I was. Look, I don't think anyone had um, South Africa tipped to win that one. I know before the tournament, um, you know, a lot of people thought that, that, you know, their performances in the Rugby Championship maybe um, that they could have done it. You know, they beat New Zealand, obviously, um, and looked very strong. But I think throughout the tournament, England definitely looked like the strongest team. And obviously, after a brilliant performance against New Zealand, um, everyone thought they were going to do it. So, um, yeah, no, it would have been disappointing for them. And I think, like, it was it was interesting. There seemed to be, like, a fairly familiar team um, with lots of the teams that kind of, particularly in the last couple of games, I mean, Ireland against New Zealand, New Zealand against England, um, you know, if you defended well against teams... Uh, they didn't seem to react well. It's, that seemed to be the real defining characteristic I thought of all the teams that did well. I thought South Africa defended brilliantly well, you know, and um, caused England to make a lot of kind of uncharacteristic mistakes. And um, yeah, they ended up winning comfortably enough, which is kind of weird, you know. Yeah, Ferg, do you think, was Warren Gatlin right in the end? Did England play their final in the semi final against the All Blacks? Did he put so much of an emphasis on beating New Zealand that they didn't maybe have emotionally enough in the tank or that they were just. Just a bit complacent, maybe even. They thought it was over. They thought yeah, it was Yeah, no, I, I don't know what it was. Um, it's easy to say that now after Warren Gatlin said that comment. And, Very easy. <laughs> well, I mean, Eddie Jones had a smart comment about Gatlin as well. So um, fair play to Gatlin for coming back for, with something that actually stood in the end. And I'm sure that hurts pretty pretty hard for him. But um, not just saying it because Benny's on the phone, but I mean, I think it showed in that final with how physical South Africa are that maybe having the likes of Owen Farrell at 10 and the likes of uh, of a Benny at 12 and, and, and Tuolangi at 13, they wouldn't have been getting over the gain line as much. And you could see um, Steph the Toy was going after, there's lots of clips and lots of footage being cropped up all week of um, Steph the Toy going, going after Ford. And, you know, Ford's a great player, you know, and he did well during the tournament. But when, when people go after him... Um, things can implode a bit at times for him and, and it, that doesn't necessarily happen, happen far usually very physical uh, 10 one of the most physical in the world so um, yeah I'd say Benny was drinking the beers when he saw that result anyway. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll bring in Ben on the phone you're having a laugh to yourself there Ben what, what was the experience like for you watching uh, that final you know, having been involved in the squad up to very close before the tournament were you I'd say part, part of you a bit, bit pleased with the result 
No, I just think, uh, look, I've got a lot of really close friends in that team. So, you know, for me, I was gutted for them. Uh, because I've been in the camp for so long, and I think Eddie's been literally saying, we're going to win the World Cup. We're going to win the World Cup. I mean, he used to say that a couple of times a day. I'm, I'm talking about every day in camp for f- four years. So I know how much they wanted it. But, um, yeah, look, it was a, probably a tough game to come down from the New Zealand one. And um, they'll probably look at the week that they've had versus South Africa and maybe be kicking themselves a little bit that they didn't rise to the occasion. And I think, um, you know, all the chat of the the parade being organised and how much players are going to make and bonuses and that. And, you know, these guys are only human. And I think if they read into it or not, and it's just um, I think South Africa were hungrier. And you definitely saw that from the performance. Um, Ben, as you mentioned, Eddie used to talk about the World Cup and winning it so regularly. Was there a similar focus on New Zealand specifically? Because in the media anyway, he did always talk about how the All Blacks were the team that England had to take down. So do you, did, was that something that maybe all the eggs were in, you know, the New Zealand basket, and then after that was done, maybe subconsciously the players thought they were over the line? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, whether he would admit it or not, but from my view... I definitely think Eddie built a game <clears throat> over the last few years to definitely beat New Zealand um, with uh, the way he wanted the team to play with the tight running lines, how he thought he could get over New Zealand. So I definitely think his game was built around beating them, maybe not so much beating South Africa. And I also think, too, we, we played uh, a year ago, we played the All Blacks in Twickenham and we just lost. And I always thought after that game, and the boys had a feeling that they'll get him when it counts. And I think, you know, deep down in their mind, they knew if they got New Zealand in the World Cup that they could get him, that they had their number. But then once that game was over, I don't know if their mind switched enough to, to respect South Africa enough, I think. That's interesting, Luke, because there is a sense that even though South Africa were a lot of people's pre-tournament pick, as the tournament wore on, people started to maybe waver a bit on, on whether they could get the job done. I know they weren't that impressive against Wales in the semi-final, but they weren't a very trendy pick before the England game. No, they definitely weren't. And I think that was because the, the Welsh game was pretty tight. But look, Wales are definitely a difficult team. And I think South Africa play a very kind of pragmatic game. Um, you know, I think they know what their what, what their strengths are and um, they really stick to that regardless. Um, like it's very rare they kind of open up. Um, now they can make it, they can make a scoreline look fairly flattering. They have some pretty good finishers out there. But um, it was int- like, we, like we talked about it last week. We got, I got so few things wrong about last week, but I do think it was interesting to hear Ferg talk about about the forward axis, which is one thing that I think um, does not suit England. Um, it looked really good against the All Blacks, but I just thought the All Blacks had the, like had such an uncharacteristically, uncharacteristically bad uh, defensive effort. They were so passive against England's big runners. And I actually thought the platform for that game like that was all one on the forwards for me. I thought the English pack were unbelievable the way they were, their ball handling and how they got over the game line so consistently. And I kind of felt like um, that was a mistake to go back to that. As I said last week, I thought they should have dropped forward and, and picked Farrell at 10. And not that that was like a really defining thing. I still think the game was definitely, as it always is, was one in the pack. 15 points um, off scum penalties. But I, I just feel like they had they, they have such defensive solidity when they have... Um, you know, Farrell at 10, it's way more difficult defending at 12. It's really hard to explain that to someone unless they've actually played at the top level. But there is a huge difference in all the collisions that you have. And I think Farrell is a really good 10 in terms of defence, but he's not a really good 12 defender. I said that last week, and I'm on the record of saying that consistently. His best position for the team is definitely a 10. Like, you see how hard it is to get around Saracens. And he actually is really good at leading the line in there. Um, you know, Farrell or Ford is an excellent player, but he's a small man. Like, it makes a big difference. You're playing against brilliant players who have all the skills, but they're big men as well, usually at international rugby. Like, Colby is, you know, the odd man out or Faf de Klerk, but they're brilliant athletes. They're freaky athletes as well. So, like, usually at international rugby, big men usually win the, win the day um, because everyone's a good player. So, I thought that told a little bit on the weekend and Farrell just looked, they, you know, when they didn't have any dominance, having two ball handlers in there, it didn't really pay any dividends. You know, you, you need someone who can get you over the game line in a tight game or you need someone who can physically dominate or put in a big hit for you against, you know, he, he's not like, Farrell is a tough guy, 
but he's not going to be pushing Delander around. Like, mm-hmm. he's just not going to do that, you know, whereas a Ben Teo, a Manu Tuilagi, or a Slade could have, you know, impacted him physically there, whereas he couldn't, I didn't think. It kind of, that's kind of to the point Ben was making in that maybe Eddie was tailoring a game plan towards the All Blacks and he did. He kind of went with the same 15, you know, maybe not the exact same game plan, but the same 15 anyway. Yeah. Well, I suppose in Eddie's defence, I don't know the guy at all, uh, to be honest, um, but... In his defence, if they play that well against New Zealand in the semi, how do you really justify changing the team? Mm, definitely. You know, they, mm. like New Zealand were the outstanding side throughout the tournament up to that point. And England weren't far behind them, but when, you know, they blew New Zealand off the park, you know, the, for the first time in, in, in probably two or three years, no team had done that to them before and made them look... Um, that poor and in lots of different areas so so how could you justify you're not going to pick for it again at 10 so um, tough decision for Eddie Jones but um, yeah hindsight's a great thing and in fairness to Luke he did call that last week but uh, he's not going to get that free coffee off me (laughs) (laughs) yeah in fairness I don't blame you like in fairness like we did say like there's no way he's going to drop him after that game but I don't know what you think Benny because you've played like so closely next to those, those guys myself and Ferg have only really played against them like, what, what's your take on that? Because I, I think if, the, if they're going forward, like, and the opposition are, aren't defending well or really being aggressive with them, those guys, will they'll tear you apart. Like, uh, but I think if you're not doing that, it becomes really difficult for, to justify having those two guys there. Yeah, I think, um, like you said, it depends how the game's going. And I think, um, you know, the way the game was going against South Africa, obviously, Eddie pulled off Ford, I think, at the 50-minute mark and put on Slade, but maybe it was a little bit too late then. But, you know, I've played with both of them and then I've come off sometimes and they've gone on together. And when a, when a game's open and them two are out there together, they're very dangerous and they can get the ball to the edge really quick. Faz can put in kicks from the 12. You know, they're, they're really good. But then uh, it's got its limitations too. So de- depending on the game, maybe, maybe it's not going to work as well. And Eddie's probably shown that he can chop and change and, yeah, like Ferg said, it would have been a ballsy move to to just drop them after the the game they had against the All Blacks. But um, there was a few guys that maybe were emotionally wrecked after that All Blacks game, and maybe they could have been better off coming off the bench. But one thing I also think too with the England side is um, it's a lot different now to maybe sometimes when I was there. I think people forget that you know Eddie termed that coin uh, the phrase um, the finishes. Mm. Uh, I don't think he had his old type of finishes that he used to have. Um, you know, back in the day, he used to bring off the bench uh, Jamie oh, George. You're talking about yourself, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Carl Sinclair, you know, Danny Kerr, Jack Knoll. You mm. know, I was part of some of those. those Fuck me, ones, Benny. This isn't this isn't a blow your own trumpet session, mate. <laughs> mate, I'm, ju- I'm just saying, mate. You know, no, I, I agree. I actually do agree with you. He, he and Sink, Sink, Sinclair, Sinclair used to be on the bench as well. So did Jamie George, mm. uh, yourself, um, a few others. Who was who was the scrum half? Uh, Danny Kerr. Yeah, Danny it's Kerr, exactly yeah, as you were yeah, saying, yeah. Ben. Like, I mean, it, it's interesting to hear you say it because, like, it does. Like in a game like that, like I always think, far, like Ford, he always used to bring Ford off the bench, really, didn't he? Yeah. In most of those games, yeah. or like I know sometimes depending on the game, he would have brought you. But like when the game's open, I think those guys probably would have a bigger effect. Like, is that? Do you think that had an impact? Um, I think, I mean, just because we're talking about now, we can we can obviously say that maybe that had an impact. But I think uh, I think spiritually was maybe the thing that got England more than maybe talking too much about you know positional or Sinclair getting knocked out, the ten and twelve or the back three. I think it was more of a spiritual thing, but that the fact that they played so well against the All Blacks, what they did in the week, what they talked about. Because I don't know if they came out the same way South Africa came out yeah. in a World Cup final. You know, would you I agree, think- Benny? You know, we've all played in big games um, before, and you know, sometimes watching is kind of easier as a player yeah. as a player than when you're actually on the field. But you know, when you are on the field in those situations, and it's not about the sinker thing at the start. The commentators are going on about it, the pundits are going on about it, but it's it's about like an energy and 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 it's about like an aura that is going on in a game that you're kind of going, 
this is going to be very hard to turn over. And yeah. South Africa just no, had that. Oh, yeah. They literally just had that in the first 10 minutes. And it was one of those things that was a little bit relentless for England and they just could yeah. not stop it. Yeah, And I get it too because I've lost finals. I've lost big finals. And, and, and I've been on the field when, you know, we kind of guys are looking around to someone to someone's got to change the tide here. And you can feel it slipping away as hard as you try. You just can't get it back. And that's just... Sometimes it's gone in the first ten minutes, mm-hmm. and I think that that's how it was in, in that game. But to be fair to England, like in the second half, you know there was that moment when Joe Marler came on. They won a scrum penalty. I think it was to go either three behind or to level the game. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And Farrell pushed slightly to the to the to the, to the right of the post. Mm-hmm. Like the, the game still was in the melting pot. You look at the final score when you know Am and Mapimpi combined for that great try, and Colby put on the finishing touch and think it was a complete hammering. And in some ways it was, but there was a little moment there in the second half where the game was still for the taking. Luke. Yeah, well, I think you're, you're again. So we come back to this conversation. I think about you know. Yeah, I, the scoreline is kind of irrelevant and I think uh, if you look at it on balance like more often than not you're going to look at teams that you know like who had like who had moments and who had the game like who had what like when you're watching you have a feeling about a game or when you're playing in a game where you're just thinking they just have way more of this game like way more of uh, like like every single facet seems to be a struggle for one team versus the other and I think that's why bar the scoreline we'd say South Africa looked like they had so much of the game versus England having maybe a few moments, like, a, you know, a, a kick slides by, whatever it is. And yes, that can change the complexion, it can lift the team. But on balance, I think England or England had way less of that game than I think um, than, than South Africa had. I think they didn't help themselves in periods as well. They had some kind of key guys who were handling the ball a lot. Like, I think Ben Young's had an uncrowded, like, I'm a big fan of Ben Young's. Passing was poor. But yeah, Everyone he had a was bad day. He had a bad day. You know, but the thing is as well, remember, the last couple of weeks, like he's been on the front foot completely. You know, So every single person, like, there's a reason people are overrunning is because the timing the last couple of weeks, their pack were completely dominant against New Zealand. Every single time Billy Vunapola, any of the Vunapolas got the ball, Sinclair was passing it. They were awful. They were getting over the game on every single time. So he never had to check. He could, t- he could pick and nearly take a step or two. Everyone's running onto the ball. Everyone looks like a good option. It was very different against South Africa because they had way less of those times. They had moments. And when he was trying to, you know, I think force things or when they felt the pressure, you know, he throws the one into touch um, and a few other bad decisions. I know that that's kind of the highlight one. But um, I thought those kind of things didn't help them. They never really managed to wrestle back the momentum. I think, I think England and South Africa kind of mirrored each other in each other's semis, mm, yeah. if that makes any sense. Mm. So, like, you know, South Africa... It was just one of those days where everything was sticking, you know, yeah. like Mapimpi's chip and it pops back in and he gives it this yeah. and they're winning everything in the air and they're winning all the scraps. Whereas England did that against New Zealand, yeah. everything, you know, from the first minute and a half and they scored that try unreal. But then, you know, the likes of Anthony Watson, who've been playing so well the whole tournament, making uncharacteristic errors mm-hmm. along with other guys, the ball getting knocked out of their hands. It was just one of those days. And the thing about it is, is that like, the best thing about tournaments and, you know, whether it's a Champions Cup, whether it's a Pro 14, whether it's a Super 15 or whatever it is, or a World Cup, the highest level, you can play as well as you want for a tournament. But 80 minutes of rugby is mm-hmm. anything can happen, really can, you know, in terms of guys' mentality, in terms of preparation, in terms of refereeing decisions. And yeah. it was just one of those days where I think England were the best team in the World Cup. They just didn't win it, and yeah. South Africa turned up in the final. Yeah. yeah, Ben. Just to reflect, I guess on the last you know couple of years, you know, you were obviously in the England setup with Eddie Jones, and as you mentioned, he was always talking about winning the World Cup. Like, it seemed like a fairly interesting experience from afar. Like, what was it like being in that environment? You know, with Eddie, he seemed to drive the players very, very hard. Yeah, he's a very intense character. Uh, he he drives his staff, he drives his players hard, and you know, I don't know if there's a harder working man in in sport going around and you know the hours he puts in so you know the guys have been driving and some guys have been on the journey for three years some only for one year but the message was always the same that the the main goal was the world cup and you know that's why it's devastating for them and i'm not sure whether he comes back or not um and what the messages will be like but uh it might be quite tough to get going again um for, for some of them so um, you know, but I see a bright future because if you look at that side, it's a young side now with a lot of experience and um, they'll take the lessons from that game and uh, move forward. 
And one thing Eddie would always talk about was how he wanted the team to be like a certain percentage fitter by the World Cup. And, and by all accounts, like the fitness, you know, element of the trainings were very, very tough. Like, can you, what can you tell us about that? Like, how hard did he, did you guys have to train or, or in terms of compared to maybe other teams or other, other setups you've been in? Oh, I think uh, I've never I've never seen a, a, a session run as smooth and as specific as Eddie's. You know, they're down to the seconds. He's got staff running around, changing cones all over the field. You move from one drill to the next to the next. And there's not one thing that you do in that camp on off the field. If, if it's not going to help you be a better rugby player, it's gone. Whether that's a piece of equipment in the gym whether that's some type of session, if he doesn't think that you're getting out what you should, then it's gone and they'll find something else. So I think he's been um, very good at, at doing that with the boys and bringing them along. And, you know, if, what a year ago and that, they were calling for his head and he's got it, he should be gone. And he was saying, judge me on my World Cup. Well, they were impressive. Uh, they were impressive at the World Cup. And But the, like Ferg said, you know, when it comes down, to it it's it's one big game and who's going to get up for that 80 minutes and that's why uh, sport is cruel because sometimes the best team doesn't end up you know taking the prize and what's your relationship like with uh with, with eddie ben it must have been close enough because obviously there was that decision point with leinster where you were kind of thinking you know will i hang on um you know based on a few conversations with joe before you left but you must have a, a close enough relationship to him but i mean obviously it would have been disappointing to, to finish the way you did so like what's it like now it sounds like you you, you kind of admire the guy still oh yeah of course definitely you know and uh you know he takes me a little while ago to say, you know, I hope you're doing well. And I said, tell the boys that I said hello and good luck. And, you know, I think he does respect a lot of the guys that have just been on the journey with them. And it's, you know, funny with some of these things is um, you get involved, you know, and you put your heart in, you, but you can't, not everyone can go the full journey. You know, some guys got to fall off, whether it's myself, Rob Shaw, uh, Haskell, you know, Dylan through injury, these guys through injury falling off. So, you just wish them all the best and you gave it all you could and then and then they go on. But I've got nothing but respect for Eddie and um, the team and I enjoyed my time there. Um, and like I said, he's the hardest working guy I've ever I've ever met. Bar me, Benny, obviously, yeah. <laughs> Bar you, yeah. <laughs> since, 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 since he went to the left wing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ben, well, what was the conversation like when he did give you the bad news? Like, What, what was the explanation that he gave you? Uh, well, the explanation I probably can't go into, but you know, when he told me, <laughs> can you just stop punching your fellow players, mate? <laughs> <laughs> when he told me, he, when he said, uh, you know, he said to me, uh, unfortunately, Benny, um, yeah, I can't take you to Japan. Uh, you're not on the 31. And I said to him, uh, you know, I understand Eddie, that's your decision. And I said, uh, this is what I actually said to him. I said, Eddie, mate. I hope you go and do it because uh, I know how much it means to you and I'll be back here and I'll be rooting for you guys. And that's that's all I said to him. And he said, thanks, mate. And mm. we, we finished the conversation. And, you know, that's I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I've had and, and for him selecting me and and being able to play test rugby. So, you know, there was um, no bitterness and um, I just crack on and and keep it moving. And you're in uh, in Toulon at the moment there. And, uh, I mean, like, how, how did that come about? Uh, I mean, like, such an exciting <clears throat> place. They've obviously come through a difficult couple of years, but um, probably a big opportunity with a lot of guys moving on, Bastro and that as well. So um, talk to us. How are you getting on over there, and how did it come about? And a few wingers, mate. Like, you know, I know there's a couple <laughs> of guys there that maybe are shooting on, or, like, you could do with some experience and maybe a few guys that have a headband or whatever. <laughs> Mate, it just, it, to be honest, you know, I finished up with England uh, and, and you know, I had about four or five months uh, until I, I went off to Japan. So I sort of just, it fell into place. The, they called me on the Tuesday. I was actually flying out of the UK. I was flying back to Australia to have um, a holiday. And um, the morning I'm, I'm at the airport, I get the text, say, Toulon want you to hear, but they want you tomorrow. So I flew to Dubai and I turned around and I flew back to Nice <laughs> and I came to Toulon and I did two training sessions and I played on the weekend. <laughs> and it's just been, uh, yeah, it's been crazy. But I think, you know, Toulon's going through a transition themselves from the World 15 that we know and that we used to play against uh, to now a team trying to build 
a future mm. of um, success through an academy system and investing in facilities and all that. So it's not the the old the old Toulon that that we knew. It's um, it's a new club going through a new journey. So there, are you, got, there, are you back in the wine? academy, Benny? Are you? Is there, is there, <laughs> Sorry, is you're there back w- in the academy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm back in the academy on, on the academy wage as well. But, uh, and is there wine as shit as they all say? Yeah. <laughs> wine and uh, listen, we're, we're delighted you came on on the line, Benny. Sorry, we should we should be actually be <laughs> trying to actually be nice here. Well, I was going to say, have you had any interesting interactions with uh, Murad Bujalal? I know he's an interesting character. No, yeah, he's around uh, every day, but obviously he speaks French. I can't speak French, so there's not too much. There's just uh, savant. A handshake, and uh, that's, that's about it. And um, uh, sorry, Luke touched on it earlier. Like, how how close were you to staying put in Ireland and maybe giving it a go, playing for the Irish national team when you, if you became qualified? Um, <clears throat> look, deep down, I don't think it would have ever happened. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, I remember Matt O'Connor signed me. I came over, I played one season, uh, I went back to Australia for the off season. I got a call. Uh, Matt's been sacked. Uh, so, you know, deep down, I, I wanted to, I was going to leave as well. Um, but then I got a call from Leo and he sort of said, you know, mate, it's my first year. You know, I'd really love you to stay. Like, would you please stay? And, you know, I, Leo's a good guy and I had a lot of respect for him. So I ended up staying for that year. But I think that year was all, the second year was always going to be the last. And uh, I know Joe, you know, I had a few meetings with Joe and he wanted me to think about staying for one more year and, and to qualify. But, uh, I don't think it was ever ever really going to happen. It probably just didn't feel right. Um, you know, I, I know people give me a bit of shit about playing for England, but, you know, my, my mother is English, so uh, I've always had the passport. So maybe I felt a little bit more of a connection, but I think it would have been tough to stay in Ireland. And, you know, as much as I love wearing the Irish jersey and singing shoulder to shoulder, with my mates uh, <laughs> on the beers, I I <laughs> you, <laughs> you and Noli, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if uh, it would have ended up happening. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an interesting time in Leinster, wasn't it? When, yeah. when Ben was over, it was there was a bit of a people, as he said. There was. Well, I think Matt O'Connor was treated very poorly um, by the club. I mean, look, I think Matt. He's a sensitive guy, wears his heart in his sleeve, you know, and I think um, it just kind of all seemed to be, the tide seemed to go against him, you know. I think uh, I actually rated him very highly as a coach. I got on really well with him. Um, so, yeah, like that was definitely a difficult period, and I think Leo definitely found it tough his first year, um, but they gave him the time because he was starting off, so it was kind of ideal. I think Matt, actually, he, he bore the fruit of a lot of Matt's good work as well, as well as his own. He was very brave in picking a lot of young guys. He got, you know, obviously Johnny, Johnny Sexton back into the setup, and he and the sea were back into the setup with like those kind of things made a you know a massive difference. Plus, they got rid of Lottie Takiri as well, but they, they got uh, they got rid of some of the deadwood like Betty Teo as well and Luke Fitz retiring. Um, so they got rid of a lot of the deadwood, but um, no, look on a serious note, like I think it was a difficult period, and, and Ben's right, it just shows you. You know, as much as you get a bit of stick for the, for the English thing, he did stick around in a year when there was a lot of upheaval, which would have been difficult because, you know, he was he was close with Matt like a lot of us were. So, um, yeah, like I think it was a difficult period. But it was, you know, it was funny it, that that I think that the amount of players and the amount of good stuff that's come from that difficult period it's amazing in just generally across life isn't it that it's a difficult period to really find out the most about yourself um, and I think it was that period was absolutely crucial to this Lancer team now and the little period of success they're going through at the moment so um, yes look, yeah, it, diff- was, it was a tough time but yeah like I said I only really came back for you know to help out uh, and for the scones mate yeah, <laughs> the, but you know at, at the end of the day I obviously yeah. knew uh, that they were looking at bringing in uh, Robbie Henshaw and those boys. So, mm. you know, it was a great time for me to move on and, and move to England and give this test run a crack. Yeah, for a game, you know, what, how did you find Ben as a teammate at the time? How did you find him as a teammate? Yeah. yeah being completely honest, the thing I love about Benny the most is with, you know, I'm sure all the, the listeners uh, today can, can, can hear from him is that there's no bullshit from the guy. Um, and that's you know clear as day when you meet him as well, um, because there are a lot of players and and coaches and different people you come across within the game where they um, say a lot of different stuff that they don't mean or they try and you know create maybe an image of what's going on that's not and and that's not the case with Ben at all. Um, you saw 
you know, the level of respect he's talked about Eddie Jones there, he could easily have gone through him after leaving him out of a squad that he should have been in in my eyes. So um, that's a test to him as a guy. And, you know, when I played with him, uh, I loved it. Uh, you know, he probably didn't hit as hard as me for a big fella, but sure. <laughs> yeah, well, when you started off by saying, I'll be completely honest, I didn't know what way you were going to go with it. Uh. It's, funny. it's funny that, like, you know, when I, I, I left Leinster, and, you know, it was a tough two years with Matt and Leo's first year, but... You know, you fast forward a few years and you see you guys winning uh, the European Cups and all that kind of stuff. And it's nice to see because, you know, I, I remember watching the games and seeing guys like, you know, James Tracy and Luke McGrath and these type of guys. And I'm thinking, gee, I remember going to Treviso away with these guys. Mm. You know, when, yeah. when all the big dogs were gone, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're gone struggling and in Treviso yeah. and Zebra and Gwent Dragons and in playing the trenches, young guys. <laughs> and then you know, they end up, look at them, being yeah. test players, you know, Jack Conan and all that. So uh, it's nice to see it. And yeah, Ben, we really appreciate giving you giving us a few minutes of your time. But before we let you go, just what's your kind of honest opinion on, on what happened to Ireland at the World Cup from, you know, someone looking in from afar? Um, look, I think, uh, to be honest, may, maybe they looked a little bit, um, a little bit old. Maybe uh, I just think uh, they probably weren't as dominant as what they had had the, the last few years, and it is tough, you know, going from success. But maybe the, the warning signs were there in that that warm up game that they played against England, uh, Twickenham, that maybe they weren't um, at the same pace as, as the other superpowers in rugby. Um, and I think, you know, Joe, yeah, from, looking from afar, Joe Smith was very, very loyal um, uh, to some players and maybe uh, maybe he didn't get the results back uh, of what he thought. And, you know, like we say, it's a ballsy move to change up your your World Cup team or what you think your team is maybe six months to a year out. But, you know, some of the most ruthless coaches out there, they do that type of stuff, you know. Uh, look at Eddie, he he dropped off a fair few guys. Guys, he didn't care whether he had caps, whether he had experience. If he thought there was a young kid and he was hungry, i.e. Lewis Ludlam, if he thought he was a hungry kid, he's like, I'm going to take him to the World Cup. And um, maybe Joe was a bit too loyal to a few guys that weren't giving him what he needed. And um, once you're over there and you've got your 31, that's what, that's, that's what it is. It's interesting because, like, whatever about Eddie Jones, he certainly like lived by that principle, didn't he? There was a lot of bolters in that squad, whereas Ireland, it was a quite settled squad for better or worse. Yeah, like he took chances, you know. I think like two, like Steve Hansen, I thought did the same thing, um, you know. And you could probably argue that ultimately it might have backfired on them, but I think um, that's probably been a, a bit harsh. Uh, like I thought. It was kind of interesting. I thought that in the in the games, the two games where it was fairly critical, um, I thought Steve Hansen should have picked, should have had Bowden Barrett at ten against uh, against England, and he should have had Ben Smith at fifteen. And I think yeah. that England probably the, the the chance they took against New Zealand, um, it really paid off. Like it was the perfect game, and the two guys were brilliant in that one. But then in the final against South Africa, his best team the last couple of years has been with Farrell at ten. Um, and I just thought that that was it was the interesting. I think it was ballsy and it was it was brave. Um, and I think that probably to, to be honest, with you, I still would subscribe to that way of thinking. I think you have to have guys that are droppable. Like everyone has to be droppable. Uh, you have to keep that high performance level up the whole time. No one can be beyond reproach. And I think there was probably a few guys in the RCM. I completely agree with Benny that. Joe was really, really loyal to you and they were probably beyond reproach and they're, they're, you know, he was kind of relying on past performances to maybe reproduce it, whereas really you need to be consistent for a period going into it and I didn't, I think there was a few people um, that, that weren't, you know. Um, in saying that, like Rassi Erasmus, I think was, like he, he was brave enough in a few few positions. Uh, he took a lot of guys mm. back into the fold. So yeah, look, I think that way of thinking is, is good but you just have to be careful that I think what really tells for me is the body of work before. Um, you know, I think if you look at New Zealand, they were mixing enough with Moonga there. I think in the big games, they're still better off with having Barrett there. Um, and I thought the same around England. So, um, look, uh, I agree with everything what, with what Benny said. Um, I think it really backfired on a big stage and he was very loyal and got probably, um, it probably backfired on him pretty badly. Yeah, any thoughts? <laughs> I'd... I'd don't know if I can cover anything else without um, probably digging a hole for a couple of the boys I actually play with. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that England 
like Eddie Jones is a prime example of someone who who did fresh it up. Um, you know, even putting laws in, and like I know he's an older guy, but he was playing the best rugby of his career. So mm. he changes the uh, crews and Atosia playing together for Saracens, and they're winning Champions Cups, and all of a sudden he puts laws in because he was playing the best, and that kind of sets a really good kind of culture and, and mentality for the rest of the squad because they're going, well, hold on here for a second. If I train as well as he's saying and, and, and play, you know, to the best of, of all the, the guys in the same position as me, I'm I'm going to be the guy that gets picked. And in fairness to, to Eddie Jones, that that is what he did. And that was probably one of his short fallings with picking forward in the final because he was playing the best as a 10. But, you know, looking back on it with the game that was in it, how physical it was, Farah was probably the right man to pick. Um, so yeah, hindsight's easy and all that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I suppose in terms of changing people up and um, freshening a squad up leading into a World Cup cycle, Eddie Jones probably did it the best. But at the end of the day, they didn't win the, the championship. Did you see what was interesting? I'd be interested to get your opinion on this, Benny. He was talking uh, today, or he's already come out kind of saying that, like, this World Cup team is dead. Like he's just gonna yeah. start afresh with the next World Cup in mind. Because we had no, because we we had this conversation last week, and I was saying like it's an interesting one. Like, like how do Ireland go about this now? Like because obviously they haven't come off at the same high, but yet no one really here is talking about making wholesale changes and thinking about the World Cup. Whereas England have come off a bit of like they they actually were playing brilliant rugby, and they're already saying, well, we're changing for the next. Like who's available for the next World Cup? Who do we? There's a couple heard? of boys there going well. Yeah, fuck me, Jones. Like I didn't double ball the final. <laughs> What do you uh, think? I think it's true because, um, you know, I believe what he's saying. uh, What he's saying is is that exact group of players, um, even some of the ones that you think, ah, he's going to be there for the next two years. He won't. He won't be, because what he's saying, he said, uh, guys will lose the desire. They'll lose fitness. They'll get injured. And I think the desire one's a big one because coming off a big tournament. He'll want to see how hard you playing at club level. You know, what's your skin folds like? What are you training like when you come into camp? Are you doing all the things he's asking? And uh, if you're not, he's going to say, well, you don't have the desire anymore and he's going to move you on. And he doesn't mind bringing in an 18-year-old kid or a 19-year-old kid in your position. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the guys we think are shoe-ins for the next few years are going to have a rough time with him. Uh, they'll, he'll be on their back big time. Just a quick one. What's 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 on the journey for you now? So you've got a few more months there in Toulon. Are you heading off to you're heading off to Japan? You said before you head back to Oz, I presume. Yeah, yeah. So I'm here. I'm here in Toulon till uh, the end of January, and then I go to Japan from uh, uh, January to May, and then uh, and then I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just I'm just uh, a freelancer now. A freelancer. I just go around and uh, <laughs> I play club footy. And uh, I'm not too sure, but, you know, realistically, the, the rest of my career will be spent either in, in France or, or in Japan, just playing club footy for the next few years and, until I wrap it up. All right. Well, look, Benny, thanks a million for coming on. Um, you know, I know it's uh, it's difficult to get the time zones. You've got a kid over there as well. Uh, our best regards to uh, Connie and the best of luck with the rest of your career. I just want to echo what Ferg said. Uh, really honest guy. Uh, always great fun to be around. Brilliant player as well. So best of luck in the rest of the uh, of the journey wherever rugby takes. We hopefully uh, see you back in Ireland at some stage, Benny. Okay? Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. Take thanks for coming Cheers, on, Benny. man. Bye. Bye-bye. So lads, we'll just finish up, I guess, looking back to Irish rugby, the provincial action this weekend, the Interpro derbies. There's no real rest from the World Cup. We're going straight into the big games for Leinster, Connacht on Friday night, and then, you know, Munster, Ulster on the Saturday. You know, how important is it that, you know, the returning internationals, however many play this weekend, you know, come back and, you know, looking something close to themselves with, with the European games around the corner. You don't really want this World Cup hangover or whatever it is to, to linger much longer. No, certainly not. And I think... Um even just from talking to the guys that have come back from the World Cup, they're, they're dying to play because, you know, coming back into a new setup, a new fold after, you know, a very disappointing um, World Cup campaign for what they would have wanted. Um, it's just a new start for them, a fresh leaf and taking off from a kind of um, a winning culture that they left, really, you know, after winning the, um, the, the, the Pro 14 last year and some of them playing really great rugby. So... Uh, yeah, the guys that come back in, you know, I'm sure they'll be just looking to get back into the same systems, the same moves, different calling systems. You know, Lukey, you know, 
going from Ireland to back into Leinster or your province is quite difficult because you've been, you know, uh, ingrained in, in in those moves and, and, and all that chat around what you're doing for a certain period of time. And it's the same stuff, but it's just different wording. It kind so of upset your rhythm a little bit, can't it? A, a little bit. And then yeah. when you say a few things in, you know, to certain guys who've been in Leinster for a while or else vice versa, like Leinster to to Ireland guys it can just like guys can get a bit frustrated being like you know the, what are you doing do you know what I mean like that's yeah. not what you should be saying now and it's it, you know to get that knocked out of all of those guys this week will be a good thing yeah. uh, but you're listen there's like a f- couple of Connick guys will be in the same boat um, you know Jack Hardy I'm sure will be playing um, and he'll be pivotal for Connacht and you know Connacht have been a really tough um, obstacle for Leinster in the sports ground they're playing great rugby under Andy Friend and um, in fairness I really respect that guy he's he's a great coach and he seems like a really good fella um, according to anyone that's been coached under Was uh, what was it like having the internationals back in training was it a little strange or was it just business as usual I'm probably the wrong guy to ask because I've had a bit of an elbow issue the last couple of it's weeks. I like you to miss that. I knew he was or injured. I, I thought he would be there. Like, <laughs> oh, do you get the week off? Like? Ooh, he's no. defensive tonight, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, I, I don't have the week off, actually, um, Will, but if you want to give it to me off, then call yeah. me on that. <laughs> <Call> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I've been in training away, um, just not on the field with the lads doing the pitch sessions and stuff, in the same gym sessions and all the rest, but just doing different programmes. But it's been great to see them back. You know, it's funny when you're watching guys, you know, away playing for Ireland, you want them to succeed massively, but it's kind of strange because you know them so well and it's just, it's a different type of emotion as to watching it when you're a young fella and it's like mm. Keith Wood, Simon Gagan, people that you're not connected at all. So it's just, it's kind of hard to describe. Mm. Um, so very disappointed to see them not do as well as we would have liked. But them coming back, it's like, you know, we're so tight, honestly. The 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 but the best thing about the Leinster squad at the moment, from from um, the youngest guy to the oldest guy, is it is a very tight squad. I think you can see that by the way we play, um, and the way that people show up for each other week week on week. So, seeing those guys after not seeing them for whatever it was, uh, you know, two three months period uh, was 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 a great thing. And it's it's a refresher for the squad as well, and I'd like to think it'll be a real bonus going into these um, couple of first European games after the Connacht match. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the selections are like over the next week or two yeah. in terms of how many guys are brought straight back in. Because, to be fair, a lot of the internationals didn't have good World Cups, whereas I know they maybe weren't playing the strongest opposition, but, you know, Leinster, Munster, Ulster and Collins have all started the season really well. And some, you know, young guys or players who wouldn't ordinarily maybe be in the starting team have played really well. So, like, do you expect the provincial coaches just to bring the back the internationals en masse or actually reward the guys who have them going well week in, week out? I'd expect them to kind of combine it a little bit, actually. I don't think you can just make wholesale changes. I think that would really upset the balance in the squad and all the hard work that you've done. Um, I'd be thinking that you you want to reintro them to training, but I'd be kind of staggering it a little bit, depending on who you feel like is going to you know needs the game time because there's going to be some of the international guys that won't have played very much at all, um, because obviously Joe didn't you know he just picked the same guys all the time, um, and then there's going to be some guys who probably will need a rest, so you might stagger those people in, because um, you want to have a full you want to pick it from a full complement for the first European game, um, and you want everyone to be on eleven playing field, um, and playing for inter- playing for the international team has to count for something. You know you're you're definitely mm. while they didn't play well it's the biggest stage and it's the hardest place to actually play well because you're playing against all the other best players in the world so uh, we have to take that into account while it didn't go well so um, look these guys are, are quality rugby players but the great thing for Leinster uh, particularly is that there's been a group like, they have a great group there already you know and there's lots of guys who might be established that might not get in that team probably won't get in that team um, for that first European game. So, look, I think for all the provinces, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to marry. You know, do you give the guys a rest or do you just get them straight back in? I'd say a lot of them will be chomping at the bit just to get back involved in provincial setups where, they, you know, they have been going pretty well. They've been playing really well, all four provinces. You know, the big improvements in Connacht since friend came in, I think. Um, I think Dan McFarland's doing some great work up in Ulster and they made a few good signings. So, um, I expect all four provinces to be competing very heavily this year and I think it'll be, uh, you know, makes for a great weekend 
again. I'm down for a bit of provincial action, to be honest. There's one big talking point that I actually should have brought up earlier when we had Ben Teo on. I regret closing over my uh, piece of paper. The big Saracens. one today, Saracens, obviously. Yeah, I was surprised we didn't get it. Yeah, yeah but look, it was completely slipped my mind. But I don't know what your guys' thoughts are. Like, as people who, you know, you both competed against them over the last couple of years. I know it's not really relevant to Ireland per yeah. se, but, you know, what have you made of it? Like, it's it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a huge story. Difficult, difficult thing to get around, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I mean, look, I suppose at the end of the day, it's a f- pretty hefty fine. You know, if you look at the averages, like, so how many, have they played five games so far over the Premiership? I think it's three. five. Three games. Yeah. Is it three games? Okay, so they've 24, have they 24 games? Like, they've 21 games to get it right. That's pretty much, like, what are they, have they got, uh, I'm not sure how many points they have at the moment anyway, but. They have nine points. Yeah, I think on average they usually have, is it 70 points? I looked at someone oh, did it today, yeah. 75 points or something like that. If you well, they're not going to get relegated. That's what they're not going to get yeah. relegated, but they have a pretty good chance, like, that if they don't, if, if they got a few bad losses against some good teams in the Premiership, like, they're hovering below the average in the league, I think. They're like, they're not, they won't they'll go struggle, down. They'll struggle but to they get will, into the pressure on them to hit the ground running. And yeah. lots of those guys are coming back from big World Cup campaigns and they're, they're not going to come back straight away either. They're going to have another week or so before they get back. So they're under pressure. Um, what I would say is, I think it's probably the right thing. Uh, would be my view. I think if you're if you're if you're breaking the rules, if you're giving yourself an unfair advantage against other teams, particularly in a league where you can get relegated, um, that doesn't sit well with me, and it looks like it doesn't sit well with the Chiefs and the, in you know whoever's looking after the uh, the Premiership or the powers that be. And and I like that they came out strong. I think if you look at the stuff for Barcelona and Man City in football, mm. that stuff doesn't that's not right. Like you can't you shouldn't be doing that stuff. You shouldn't be breaking those <coughs> rules. Like the rules are there in place to to protect some like all the teams in the competition and to protect the integrity of the competition. If you're going outside that, um, you know I don't think it doesn't sit well with me. And I like that they came in strongly. Is it a bit too strong? I don't know, but I think you have to feel the pain somewhere so you stop other teams, you know, from from doing it. Yeah, what did you make of it? Is there an is there an asterisk behind the, the trophies they've won or what they've achieved? No, I wouldn't think that. I, I think that it's just it, it's bizarre to think that they could get that much of a fine and that much of a points deduction. Hmm. Like it's a it's, it's, an, it's, all, heavy, it's, an, it's an awful a heavy lot. Yeah, I would have thought it was would be. Like a larger amount of one or a larger amount of the other, but they're both. You can't yeah. really go any further than thirty-five points, can you? Because there's mm-hmm. no point really. Then, <laughs> you may as well not play the, the league. league, you know. <laughs> in saying in saying that, you know, Saracens are that strong that they could still make the Champions Cup, but they're not going to win the league now, you no. know. And mm-hmm. like, they would have been favourites to do so. Yeah. Uh, it's going to have implications because at the end of the day, that there's a few of those guys coming back, you know. Their confidence was riding high leading that World Cup final. Things didn't go right. You know, they get hit with this news as well. Bit of unrest in the camp. Mm-hmm. You just don't know what's... Like, that's not great going into, like, the first two weeks of Europe. So, mm-hmm. um, not ideal for Mark McCall, um, who's done a fantastic yeah. job over there. And, you know, as Luke said, they bent the rules, so they need to be sanctioned. But it's not my place to say what what should or should not happen, so... Difficult to figure out what's appropriate for it, I think. It seems pretty heavy-handed to me, but part of me thinks that that's probably the right way to go about it. I would say, in terms of an asterisk next to their performances over the last couple of years... Not their performances, but the trophies. But the trophies, but the performances are linked to the trophies. So I think the two are are inextricably linked. So there's no way you can just, you know, you can't have one without the other. But if you can't win the trophies without the squad... But sorry, if you you let me get to it, I'm going to get to it, right? I just think that what he's built... You know, there's like Toulon, there's lots of other teams who have massive, massive budgets as well. And they haven't even come close to reproducing the kind of performances and consistency that that group has come with, even with the same amount of star-studded players, in my opinion. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't take anything away from that, mm. Will, just to answer the question yeah. on it. I'm not, I don't mean to be combative on it, but I, I think we can't take anything away from that. However, it will have fairly broad implications for, you know, like because I assume that the, that the fine probably has to cover a period where they're going to keep these players because you can't just, you know, the, the contracts don't just end. You can't just disrupt people's lives who've moved families, et cetera, et cetera, over to these new places or over to Saracens to play their rugby. You can't just rip up the contracts and start again under the salary cap. So I presume there's going to be a period where this is going to, you know, it probably won't have an impact on the squad, but it'll certainly have an impact on them post whatever whatever it is maybe two years or maybe three years they're going to have to some some guys are going to have to go because mm. they're breaking the salary cap rule I think um, the, the, the funniest thing is is that um, you wouldn't have, look, looking at their team on paper last year their best 23 hmm. you wouldn't have necessarily thought this like, yeah. like they've got 
incredible players. Yeah. You know, some of the the best and uh, strongest, best leaders and best players from the English side throughout the, the spine of the English side and the Saracen side fine. They got Skelton, they got, you know, Maitland, a few others, but not guys that you'd think, you know, Toulon-esque, where you've got... Sevilla and... You know, Sevilla, yeah, these guys yeah, going yeah, over yeah, yeah. So yeah. You, you, yeah. they actually have a culture there where they've yeah. been building up, you know, young younger guys coming through. They, they seem to have a very good culture in Saracens. I think that's been culture, a big yeah. thing about them being mm. successful. And that's probably been the biggest shock to me hearing this news. Yeah. You know, because... Well, a lot um, of them are from their academy. Is, you know, yeah, you know, and like, they're obviously... It's a few guys, like Liam Williams would have been a big... Yeah. You know, that, that's a hefty outlay. You know, you'd have or to take Elliot Ashton Daly would have been at the time. There. Elliot Daly. Like, like mm. I think people were like... Like, that was pretty disheartening for the rest of the league when someone like Elliot Daly went to them when they were in... Like, they're completely in their pomp as well, yeah. you know? Um, so those kind of things, I think, that they are difficult for... Maybe the cock as well, the prop. Yeah, he was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, you know, Brits could have been on quite a lot. They're obviously just on a lot more money than we thought they were. But, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they've just paid the price. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Tough for them to take now. And, like, I look, let's, as well, they, they are going to appeal this as well. It yeah. might not be as heavy-handed, uh, you know, post some kind of appeal. But I just don't know where they benchmark that. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, where do you go from that? Because they're 16-1 to 1 to win the Premiership now. So, if you have, like, a legal mind that'll tell, that's kind of telling you they might get off, Back them at sixteen to one because they do get off. They'll go back down to evens, and then you. But they can't get. I don't think they're, they're going to get, get off. off. They're not going to get I, off. I, I don't points. think so. I know there was. They were but talking like, about. That's like someone. That's like someone going. Will you've got you know a life sentence for X, but we're going to actually completely leave you off now. It's, or even if they cut it to like they are disputing. Points. Sorry, they are disputing the the way that the funds that the the way that they are distributing the the the, the funds to players. It's some kind of the way they've it's some kind of leap loophole, excuse me, whereby I think that they are like a it's like a joint partnership. It's, business kind of, yeah. it's like an investment. Yeah. Uh, so that technically they're saying that this has never been an issue in the league um before that lots of cl- different clubs do it, but all of a sudden now this is a massive problem because they've delved a bit deeper into it. Which mm. I think is probably right. But look, is it for us to say like let's let's wait maybe yeah. a little bit further we before we see the, the outcome of yeah. it. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. it's a, that it's a, yeah. at the moment it's a headline and this is what they're being accused of and yeah. we've seen it all before and it could be a lot less than it is or it could be more who knows mm-hmm. but should we see yeah yeah. well just before we wrap up I've been told Frank this is your final left wing with us it's been a memorable <laughs> eventful eight weeks <laughs> that's crying that, that, that laughing uh, <laughs> have that you was... enjoyed dipping your toe into the media along with myself and Luke no I certainly have I certainly have um, it's been very enjoyable actually and it's been a bit of crack as well yeah. a little bit disappointed that it wasn't called the left and right wing after <laughs> maybe the first uh, four or five weeks it, I'm, I'm sure it was going to take a bit of a transformation period for that but uh, yeah thanks for having me on it's been thoroughly enjoyable and um, yeah who knows maybe I'll be on again yeah well best of luck for the rest of the season anyway hope the elbow injury which I knew about I didn't appreciate that comment uh, heals up nicely and you're featuring some big games over the course of the season thanks so much for coming in over the last few weeks I really enjoyed it thanks Will Ferg and that is all we have time for this week on the left wing in association with Ali we will be back next week to preview the Champions Cup it is that time of year again and in the meantime you can subscribe to us on iTunes SoundCloud or listen on independent.ie so until next week thank you for listening and goodbye The Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school.